It was one heck of a summer. Y'all remember? It was amazing preaching. I mean, fire from heaven most weeks. Um, and we, we were trying to move into a new building. We went to the MLK Center and all that. And then remember that amazing sermon by John Michael Ritchie on the rich young ruler. Remember that? Only a month later for him to fall off the waterfall and pass away. Dear friend of our families, dear soldier in this church, just an incredible man. And what a, what a tough, trying time we went through as a body without our lead pastor. And yeah, so my body's a little apprehensive maybe, <laughs> but it, already things are different and it's good to see your faces here this morning. But again, I want to start with this. In 2001, I was in my senior year at the Citadel. I went to the military school there and they give you this amazing ring that everyone loves, and I don't even know where mine is, to be honest. And if civil grads are listening, they're probably mad at me right now. Um, but yeah, it's this great ring, and then they have something called a ring hop, which is like, you know, a little little dance, and you dress up. And I invited this girl, Jennifer Bolin, who was the former roommate of my an ex-girlfriend of mine. So it was a very risky play on my part. But we went to the ring hop, and gosh, it was so fun. Had a great time. And from there, we started to like each other. And we got each other Christmas gifts. And this is still a funny story in our house. I had no idea much about her. And I got her something called cool water. Anyone know what that is? It's a perfume. And I had no idea that perfume gives her migraines. (laughs) So she completely didn't like it. And she gave me this amazing journal. And in the back of it, there was, she writes really well. And and there was a picture of, of me and her at the banquet at the dance, and it was just really beautiful, and I went to Chris, home for Christmas, and, you know, I opened it, and I read it, and then the next day, I opened it, and I read it, and I found myself looking at her blue, beautiful eyes, and just back and forth every day, I just kept looking at it, and over the two weeks that were there, I, I began to delight in this woman. I'm, I'm, I'm not making this up for the sake of the series. I literally began to care deeply for her as I looked at her and watched her. And slowly, I began to see my life in reference to her. So, for the sake of our series, you can see where I'm going. We're starting a series today called Seeing, Savoring, and Showing Jesus. And there's, there's something about seeing that is not enough. But there's something that when seeing becomes savoring, we begin to see our lives in reference to it. It begins to shape us, to mold us. And in the Christian faith, that is the primary way we show Jesus. That is where our calling comes. We see, we savor, and we can't help but spontaneously show him to the world. That is where we're going. That's where I hope to get us to encounter our Savior, Jesus. We want to encounter him. And I'll get into more why I'm hoping for that, but just for now, I just... I hope that each week you'll lean in. Again, we're going to have some different preachers. Last time I preached a lot of them. To be honest, guys, I I don't have that capacity this time. And we have some great voices that will be up here, some different people. I think I'm preaching four, maybe five times. And I'm actually giving my break after this one, giving myself a break after this one. I won't preach till July, just being up front with you. And then I'll preach quite a few times after that. And so... We're going we're gonna to rest well, but here we all want to lean in to any face that God brings up here. Even next week, a man named Matt Armstrong, who planted uh, Village Church, and, and he's without call right now. And he's going to come bring the word for us, and I'm so excited to hear from him. I don't think he's ever preached here before. So, yeah, I just want to lean in there. But I want to now just kind of jump into our series, because 
we're not doing a traditional way of preaching. Normally we take a text and we walk through the different verses in some kind of way. Today I'm, I'm not going to do that, and I'm even going to bounce around some. You can see I shared the Old Testament story of Exodus 30, uh, 32 to 34, and you'll hear why in a moment. But then our text is very short. Rarely do we preach on one verse. And today, to be honest, I'm not going to preach just on that verse. I'm going to bounce around a little bit, but just for expectation's sake. But our, our points are the, are, the, are the series. Seeing Jesus. What does it mean to see him? And then how do we savor him? What does, he, what does Paul mean by that? And then how does showing work? The call of the Christian faith to show Jesus to the world. We're going to look at those three things, and that's we're going to just walk through them. But I want to start with, again, our text. So Paul planted the Corinthian church. He, um, he planted it, and then quickly, there were really hard things arising in that church. There were, you know, there were a very gifted church where he talks about the gifts, but there was a, a lot of sexual issues, a lot of immorality, a lot of, of, of wealthy people going up first, and the, the poor people getting the last bit of it. Like it, it, was, it was a mess. And so, mo- like most of the New Testament, it's written for the sake of mission. So the, the letters to the Corinthians were corrections were exhortations, were teachings to build up the body of faith of a, of a church that already existed. So, so 1 Corinthians happens, and then Paul is pretty upset in that letter. He's very bold. He, he calls them to repentance. And then there's actually another letter and a visitation between ours where it went terrible. We know from church history. It went awful. And then Paul sends Titus, someone he loves, a companion he loves so much, to, to take Second Corinthians to them. And what then Paul learns about is they received it. They repented. They began to turn and renew their energy, but they're still, they're still clinging some to worldly wisdom, to Greek philosophy. And so he's got to teach them. He's got to continue to train them. And there's still a sense of hardness within them. And so he begins to go after that. And then we get to our text. Our text picks up where he is, he's going after the hardness in their hearts, And he gives a commentary on Exodus 32 through 34. That's what our text is. I just gave you the last two verses of our chapter. But I'm actually going to read now with the context 7 through 18 to you. I'm going to belabor it just for a second. Just stay with me. Um, Yeah, it's a little smaller for me back there. But it says this. Now if the ministry of death, which is the law and Moses' ministry, the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For it... For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Next one. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face. Remember, we just read that. Paul's given a commentary on that. He would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, That same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, 
We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This is God's Word. Thanks be to God. I know it's different than we usually do, so hang with me. But, yeah, so, so remember, Moses, he has brought them out of Egypt. He now is encountering God, who has promised to be with him. And as he goes there and meets with God, his face is shining. He comes out from that, and they can't stand to look at him. That even, listen, so Moses has been before the glory of God, as we read. And even through his face now, the people are so hard-hearted, it might kill them, even off of Moses' face. And why? Remember what happens right in the middle of, Psalm, of Exodus 32, 33. I think it's 33. You remember he's up meeting with God on the mountain, and he comes down. You remember what they've done? They've created the bronze, the, the fattened calf, the, the gold calf, and they're worshiping it now. And their hearts are hard, and Moses gets angry, he's mad, and they're terrified of his face now. Right? And so he veils it. He tells them what God, he goes, meets with God, tells them what God has said, then he veils his face. And historically, we've learned that that is very pastoral for Moses to do. He is caring for them as God is patient with them, right? And so now, why would Paul be telling him this? Why is Paul, is Paul just happen to pick up in the middle of Exodus? No. He's saying he is a minister of the new covenant. The old covenant had such glory. So much so, you couldn't stand in front of it even. But it was, it was veiled. We have a new covenant. And it's far superior. What led to condemnation and death there leads to righteousness and freedom here. And this covenant's different because it's through the Spirit. This, this covenant's different. And I want you to know that because you know what? You're hard-hearted. Just like the people of Israel, your, heart, your hearts are hard. And the Spirit must send you, He must change you. And direct you. And so that's why Paul is breaking down this, this, the commentary here for them. And so, what does that have to do with seeing Jesus? Remember Paul? Paul's not speaking from superiority. Remember Paul's story? He was killing Christians. He was condemning the church. What happened? He's walking along. Do you remember how Paul meets God? Boom! A light goes off. It's so bright, it blinds him. So the glory is so magnificent, it blinds him for days. He knows what it's like to be in front of that. The light of Jesus blinds this man and confronts him. Jesus, Paul doesn't submit to God first. It's not that he's like, oh, God, forgive me. For, for No, Jesus encounters him and calls him. And it almost feels like Paul doesn't even have a choice. The way Jesus encounters him. It's incredible. almost feels Obviously, there's something in there. But Ananias comes to him. He's sent by God, and he says this. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road, uh, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road, regain your sight. It was the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road. Regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. His scales fell off, and he sees now. Only when someone turns to the Lord, only when the Spirit's at work, then is the veil removed. Paul's testimony is that's how it happened in him. And the hard hardness in them, if you're going to be different, you've got to see Jesus too. The scales have to come off. You've got to put your eyes on him. Because when you see him, there's something about seeing him that transforms you, that makes you different. And so, I want to I show you where that is, because <laughs> it's beautiful. It's in, our next, it's in the next chapter, 2 Corinthians 4. I think it's next. Is that next? Forgive me if it's not. Yeah, so 4 here. It says, and even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled to those who are perishing, 
in their case, the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God? You following? Now listen, for what we proclaim is not ourselves. We don't proclaim ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Now here it is. For God who said, it's God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Christ Jesus. Where do we get his glory? Where are we transformed? It's the face of Jesus, friends. And that, that might be weird to you to hear initially. But just imagine somebody walks up to you. You don't know them. You don't go up to him and go up to his knee and go, hey, man, my name is Mike. How are you? No. The, the face, it, it's, it's the gateway to who someone is. It's where we get to know a person's heart, what they're feeling, what's happening inside of them, their mind, how they think. Yeah, I sat with Forrest this week, and oh my gosh, this man is inc- he's, he's brilliant. There's so much goodness in him, but only getting in front of him was I able to see all that God has given him in his heart. And I can't wait for him because he longs to teach. He is an incredible teacher. Go get in front of this man. Go get in his face, and you will experience the gift of God in him. So beautiful. Jesus says, you will be transformed as you're face to face with me. You see him face to face. Now, it's transformation by vision. As we see him, we're transformed. I got to say this, and this is why I wanted to go back to this series. Um, I was even talking to my daughter about this last week. Uh, You know, for me, over the years, as I've been a Christian, I remember encountering, I, I became a Christian, one of the few on Myrtle Beach, the, the beach at Myrtle Beach. I became a Christian there, and it was crazy how God met me there through, through my future wife. And I, I felt that fire. I experienced his face. But I got to say, I got involved in ministry and different things. I was in Bible studies. I began to learn doctrine. And for me, I've noticed over the 20 years I've been a believer that, I've forgotten that, and I forget that pretty often. To me, it's a doctrine's been important. You know, mission, show the love of God to the world. Like I, doctrine, mission, go for it. Bible study, all of that. And I've forgotten Jesus is a person, friends. He, he's someone we can have relationship with. Do, do you know that that Jesus right now, his resurrected body, he still has flesh. That we believe from our doctrine that Jesus sits at the right hand of God and he's in physical form. And that one day when he returns, we will know him and hug him in a physical way. We're not going to be these spirits that just go floating in heaven. No, there's a physical world coming. And now today he says, you want to know me? You want to see me? Come to my face. Get in front of me. There's something about his face that that when, when we see it, it begins to transform us. I love that. That, that we learned that. You remember we, we sung it, Psalm 27. Uh, Annie's so good at picking songs. But Psalm 27, 8, David says, Your face, Lord, will I seek. So important to remember he's a person. He has a face. And Jesus wants relationship with us. It's not just about the doctrine. He, he wants intimacy with us. He, he wants to hold us, to hug us, to be there with us. To, to hold your burdens, to be in, in, in that place with you. And so, friends, that's what seeing Jesus is about. 
But seeing Jesus, for me, you know, over the years, yeah, I see him. And, and, it, and it's, it, it's just, I, I want more. And what does more mean? And it's this word savor. It's to savor him. Seeing, becoming, savoring. Because our text says, beholding. And our English is sometimes, it's not helpful. Beholding has the sense of, of there, there's something powerful. Even to use, who uses the word behold? Right? I mean, behold, you know, you have to even say it with that voice, don't you? Because nobody uses it anymore. But behold, it's so, it's so important that there's something about seeing and savoring that Paul's talking about. And savoring is the only word I know that, you know, savor. When do you use that word? It's when you love food, right? Oh, it's like, gosh, like a, a, a good um, filet. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's just the way it's buttery and it melts in your mouth. I savor it. I enjoy it. I eat everything else first, and I just go slow on that thing, right? Um, and so, as we go to the second point, I just, I want to get there. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go away from our text a little, but not really. You'll see. So, check out our next slide. Our next slide says this. It's the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Question one. If you know this, please don't blurt it out and be that guy, okay? But I just want you to, to, to read it. What is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to blank God and to blank him forever. Think about it. What do you put there? The chief end of man is to, the first word, glorify. Our chief end is to glorify our God. What does that mean? To make much of him. To, he is magnificent. He's incredible. We are called to live our, with our, our heart soul and mind and in a way that brings him much, much glory, which the word glory means weight. It gives weight to what the what this name Jesus means. That's what our lives are supposed to be. Now, the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What? Enjoy? Would wouldn't you have put serve? sacrifice for evangelize him his name to the world forever why enjoy think about if you put any other word there most other words i think it takes the beauty of what paul is doing here and it gets it out of order it makes it wacky but the chief end of man is to glorify him and do we do that c.s lewis says we'll get to by enjoying him forever there's something beautiful about savoring. It's we see him, but we now we begin to enjoy him. He's not shredded wheat. He, he's not. It's not like eating something you don't like. It's like the fillet for me. He becomes something you enjoy, something that's beautiful, something you long for, something you you run after, something that becomes a reference point for the rest of your life, and that happens through savoring, friends. And so, we see him, we save him. I want to show you Paul's prayer to the Ephesians now. And we're going to leave it up there, uh, Lisa. We're going to leave it up there. I want you to see what Paul prays. But before, before you read it, let everybody look at me. He prays this for Christians. This isn't for unbelievers. I just want you to hear that. This prayer is to the Christians at Ephesus. When, when we begin to think about the glory that feels like it's fading inside of us, to 
This is why Paul prays that prayer. Because don't we, don't we feel like Moses a little bit? The glory comes and then it fades. It comes and it fades. Look at Paul's prayer now for the church at Ephesus. For this reason, I, Paul, in another version, bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. And another, another version says that you may have strength to grasp, to hold on to, to wrestle with, to grasp with all the saints. What is the breadth? What is the length and the height and the depth? And to know the love of Christ, look guys, that surpasses knowledge. It surpasses just what we think and what we know, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. All right, how do we get his fullness? Is it doctrine? Is it what we know? No, there is something that happens in savoring that gives us his fullness. It takes doctrine and it, and it brings it to a different level in our hearts. There is something about now saying the love of Christ to begin to experience the love of Christ. You know, you might not know, but I had a brother pass away. So the man who adopted me had two children biologically, and they're a lot older than me. And this, his son passed away a few months ago. I used to be really close with him. I'm not anymore, but it was still sad nonetheless. It was a really tough time. But one beauty that came from it for me is I inherited his vinyls. Six box. I, had, I just thought it was a box. Seriously. It was six boxes of old vinyls. And they were in a barn. And so I went and got, and, and believe it or not, they're not warped, which is, what? You know? So, but I brought them home. I stacked them in the back of the car, just throwing them around, you know, and brought them home. And me and the kids get them out, and, you know, we're all, like, pulling them out. What do I got? Ooh, Beatles. Oh, that's cool. You know, and I was like, I wonder how much these things are worth. So I look up the first Beatles, and it's selling for $1,000 in some place. Oh, that's pretty cool. And, you know, Lincoln's, like, pulling them out. Graham's like, oh, I want to play one of them. Thank God we didn't have a record player. Uh, and then I get to another one, and it's called Introducing the Beatles. Flip it over. Look, oh, I know one of these, a couple of these songs, you know. And, look, and, I, and I do the Google image. $15,000. Stop the freaking press. Everybody put them down. Put, put them down. You know, my kids will tell you, stop right now. Don't, no one, t- no, Lincoln, stop. You know, like, guys, when the value of those things dropped, oh my gosh, we, we stopped. We stopped just stacking boxes. We stopped just tearing through them. No, like, oh my gosh, there's value here. That's what happens when you savor, guys. It's like you knew, but now you know. You know? I don't know how to preach that any better than what I just did. <laughs> you knew, and then, and then you know. There, there's this, this thing that happens where it clicks. And it's, you know, it's, it's Job. The story of Job is this, guys. He is wrestling with God. He loses everything. And he gets to the end. Do you remember what he says? He said, before I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes do see you, for I've been called by your name. That's, that's savoring, friends. 
So how do we do that? How do we do that? This word grasp means, he says, you know, it it doesn't use the word grasp. He says comprehend. It's it's grasp as well. Wrestle. Um, It's to meditate, to ponder, to take in, to to wrestle with, right? To grab a hold of it. It grabs a hold of you. It's this, 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 I'm wrestling with it, right? Wide. So his, his first word, the breadth. That's how wide something is. How wide is it, friends? What comes to mind when you think about the love of Christ and how wide it is? Do you remember on the cross? Jesus is there. And the man on his right curses his wound. The man on his left tells him to shut up. This man is not like us. He's innocent. Remember what Jesus says to him? Surely, I will see you today in paradise. How wide is his love? This man had never done anything. He never worshipped. He never served God. He never evangelized the lost. How wide and how good, how how gracious, what is the width of his love? He's so kind. Even to the last moments, look how kind he is. It's, it's grace. It's, that's how wide it is. It's grace alone. Do you feel that? How, the length. How long? How long is it? Oh, my gosh. If you've been walking with God for a while, I mean, it's in tears is this one. How much have I failed? How much have I blown it? When I sit back and think of my anger, just my anger that I've shown to my family, oh, it makes me want to puke. I hate it. Oh, how much has he long suffered with me? He's been so patient with me. And you watch him with the disciples. Hey, should we call down fire and burn up Samaria? You remember that text? And Jesus says, no, no. No, guys, no. Do you you know how long his love is? Guys, Philippians 1 says, he who began a good work in you will complete it. He will finish it. He promises that. How long is that kind of love? How deep is it, friends? How deep is his love? To get here, we got to look at the depths he would go to win us. Do you know that that, that God before eternity, I mean, before whatever we think about this time, the Father has had perfect relationship and union with the Son and with the Spirit. He has been completely full and not needy in himself. And yet, he created us. We blew it. And then what did he do? He put on flesh. He put on flesh and he said, dang it, I'm going to take care of it myself. You know? I'm going to do it myself. And he came down. And what, what, how, how deep did he go? What did we deserve? We deserved hell. We deserved to be apart from God forever. That's what we all would choose. And what did he do? He went to hell for us. That's how deep his love is. He went to hell. Why? So that we could have the face of God. Scripture says that when when he died, when he breathed his last breath, do you remember what was torn? The veil, which is what the Moses, the same kind of veil, that veiled the glory of God, the Shekinah glory, the inner room of the Holy of Holies, that veil, it was 300 pounds or so. It was torn from top to bottom. Why? Now we get his face. Because of the depth of his love, we get his face now. Now, how high is his love? Look at our two verses here. Next slide. 
And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I know there's a lot there, but look how John says it. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we, will, we shall see him just as he is. How high does it go? You see how low it went. How high will he take it? The same glory that he has with the Father, nothing less is appropriate. He wants that for us. You're being transformed in what you're beholding. You're being transformed into as you look at it. That's what the text says. From one degree of glory to another. So Paul says, be patient. There's this degree, and then there's this degree. And, there, and he promises he started it, he'll finish it. But you, his glory, nothing else is acceptable. His glory, is, it, he will not stop until you have that. That's how high his love is. Do you feel that? Now, friends, I just pulled one over on you. We just savored him. Did you notice? That's how you do it, guys. Yesterday, I told Ian Plum when I was preaching on him. I don't know if he's in here. He's the one that gave me 1 John. He's like, oh, you know, passage in 1 John. He savored it right in front of me. You know what I did? I gave it to you. That's what it means to savor. It's to take it and just slow down with it. Slow down. What does it mean that it's high? What does it mean that it's wide? What does it mean that it's deep? Think about it. Slow down with it. Wrestle with it. Grasp it. Ponder it. Meditate on it. And watch what happens. Slowly you begin to feel it. You begin to experience it. And it's, it's something that Paul says surpasses knowledge. And again, I don't know how to teach it any better than that. I just know that sometimes it hits me. And it's, it's unbelievable how it changes me in my seat. And I hope that's happening for you right now. And I hope that's setting you up for the rest of your summer. That that be, as, as, as maybe the Lord gives you some space, as you begin to think about, what is, how are we going to rest this summer? What's it going to be like to let our hair down a little bit, go to the beach, to pull away? How can you, regardless if you're here on a Sunday or not, how can you see him and savor him? To take him deeper? Because now, the last point, it'll be quick. This is the most natural way to show them. I love evangelism, guys. And I think there is such value to evangelism classes and all that. But I love John Piper's, his quote here. He says this. And by the way, he wrote a book called Seeing, Savoring, and Showing Jesus, if you're interested. That's where I got this whole idea from. Not the sermon, but the idea. Um, the, he says this. And it's not in this book, but it's in another one. He says that missions, which missions he defines as us taking what Jesus to other parts of the world and other, you know, to our neighbor, all this missions exist because worship doesn't. Think about that for a second. Very deep quote. Not much there as far as this much. Missions exist because worship often doesn't. Here's what he means. Worship transforms you. Worship. It, it, it takes beautiful things like this, like Ask Jen about when she met me, but before the ring hop, but even still at the ring hop. 
I mean, I, she said I was the most arrogant man she ever met. And God played a jig on her and made her marry me, <laughs> which is super funny. Uh, but, but she said I was the most arrogant man she'd ever met. And let me tell you, you guys know my story. There's a lot of abuse in my past. I was terrified inside. The arrogance was all a mask. It was all me just being careful, making sure nobody knows what's really inside of me. And I remember I became a Christian. I was on staff with Campus Outreach, and I kept going to my boss and saying, you know, this guy Chris or this guy Jacob, this guy, and I would, I would tell on him because, I mean, God has always given me the ability to see people. A lot of it was self-protection, and then it became, you know, this thing. And Rupert said, you know what? Have you told Chris? You know, I mean, terror. Well, I got to say, two years ago, I was in Seattle, and I'm learning this, all this stuff, and this guy's walking to lunch with me, and we're on our way back, and he said, Mike, I don't get it, man. With your story, when we're in group together, you're so confident. I'm just, I'm not telling you that to glorify good old Mike. I mean, you sat with me. I've been wrong with half of you in the room. <laughs> I mean, you know that. But wow, what has God done in me? I mean, this fearful, arrogant little boy, that just a little boy at 24 years old, 26 years old, 30 years old, only recently have I begun to see and savor in a way where he's changing me like never before. And guys, it's not that I just, I, you know what my answer was? I, I can't help it. When I see it, I, I have to say something. I can't shut up about it. That's, that's, that's how we show them. Something happens in us. And I think the church has hurt so many people over the years because we don't feel it. It's this distant thing that it, it's not surpassing knowledge. You know, it's this thing in us. Hey, buddy, you need to become a Christian or you're going to hell. You know, it's this thing that's so disconnected from relationship with this person of Jesus. And we've hurt so many people doing it that way. But what if we tried this? What if, what if our mission was about our transformation? What happens in us that goes out to, to tell the world how kind and loving he is? Look at my life. That's what Paul's saying. Look at me. I'm different. And I'm not like Moses now. I'm bold with it. I'm in your face with it because he loves me and because he's worth it. That's the message that Paul is saying. And so if we're going to show Jesus, if we're going to win our neighbors, if we're going to love the world for, for goodness, it, it's got to start with seeing and then it becoming this filet mignon that's so beautiful, covered in butter, and just grabs those senses inside of you where, where you wrestle with it. And then you encounter it, but it encounters you. That's what you see. You're wrestling with it, and you realize, no, it's grips on you, actually. And then it's so beautiful to the world around us. Last quote, I promise, and we're going to close with this. You, you all know it, but read it in context now. This is C.S. Lewis from The Weight of Glory. Men and women spontaneously praise whatever they value. So they spontaneously urge us to join them in praising it. Wasn't it glorious? Don't you think that magnificent? Indeed, we can't help doing it because praise not merely expresses, but completes the enjoyment. It is, it is its appointed consummation. Our expressions of praise are inadequate, but how if one could really and fully praise things to perfection? They indeed then indeed our delight would attain perfect development. To understand what heaven means, we must imagine ourselves in perfect love with God, drunk with, drunk with drowned in, dissolved by, that delight which, far from remaining pent up within ourselves, flows out from us incessantly, again and effortless 
and perfect expression. Here it is. Our joy no more separable from the praise in which it liberates and utters itself than the brightness, um, I'm not yet, I'm sorry, the brightness a mirror receives is separable from the brightness it sheds, which is the last thing. So you don't have to understand that part. Just understand the next part. The Scots Catechism says, a man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever, but then we will know these are the same thing. To fully enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. How good, how kind, how loving, how amazing is our Lord. Oh, let's pray. Jesus, I want this so bad. I want more of it. I'm so glad Paul prayed this for these Christians. And I pray it for, for these Christians, for us. Lord, that we all, with unveiled face, would behold your glory and be transformed into that same glory. Because, Jesus, you are worth it and you are good and you will stop at nothing less. Holy Spirit, there are ways where we just don't look at your face anymore. Jesus, we, we, we don't. We don't see you often. We're so distracted. And your face is even intimidating and fearfully. Uh, we, we run away. Forgive us, Jesus. And even lead us in confession now. But, Lord... Please, we want the heights. We want the widths. We want the depths. We want to know the love of God that surpasses all understanding. Jesus, give it to us. Help us savor you this summer. Give us that kind of rest. We pray in your great name. Amen. Amen. Now we respond to the teaching of God's word with confession. And um, we'll start with just a moment of personal confession. And then we'll go to corporate confession. And as we go to just an individual moment of silence. Remember what uh, Mike said, Jesus is a person. And, um, you know, Matthew 11, where Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I, I really enjoyed what Mike said about how he became a Christian. He was so into Jesus and then got lost in all the doctrine. Jesus says, come to me. It's a person. It's an invitation to a person. Come to me. And so as we move into confession, um, Let's ask the Lord to show us places where we've, where we're not coming to Him. And we we learned this morning about the hardening of the hearts of the Ephesians and and of the Israelites. And um, how does God soften our hearts? It's through coming to Him. So let's come to Him with our confession and uh, take a moment right there in your seats, and then in the separate confession.